Welcome back to Black and Published, a podcast for writers, poets, playwrights, and storytellers of all kinds. I'm your host, Nikisha Elise Williams, a two-time Emmy Award-winning producer, award-winning author, publisher, all that good stuff. Today, we're talking with Monica M. Brown, author of Only One, How to Be a Badass Boss in Corporate America, which was published by my company, New Reads Publications, in May 2020. Monica is a deeply accomplished and results-driven senior executive. She has worked for several Fortune 500 companies, including AT&T, Comcast, NBC Universal, and Sirius XM Pandora. Monica has received multiple awards for her contributions to the IT industry. In 2016, she received the Women of Color STEM Special Recognition Award and was featured in the 2017 and 2018 edition of Who's Who in Black Atlanta. Monica has also served as a mentor for multiple organizations, including the Information Technology Senior Management Forum. Monica holds a BA in Professional English and Broadcast Journalism from South Carolina State University and an MBA from the Michael J. Coles School of Business at Kennesaw State University. She has two daughters, Kiva and Madison, and currently lives in Atlanta, Georgia. Her hobbies are golfing, shopping, traveling, and writing. In this conversation, we talk about how Monica made the switch from print journalism working in magazines to tech, how she was code switching and dismissing microaggression so often it bled over into her writing, and her journey now to making working an option. Black and published family, Let's welcome Monica to the show. So this podcast is called Black and Published. So we're going to talk about your first book, Only One, How to Be a Badass Boss in Corporate America, and that journey. So my first question is, when did you know that you were a writer? Oh, my God. Um, I knew I was a writer ever since I was a kid. Um, in school, I loved writing. English was always my favorite topic. Um, uh, I went to college to study English, to study journalism. So my bachelor's degree is in uh, English and professional journalism. So I've always wanted to be on the creative side. Um, of course, like we've talked about in the past, my career took a turn. You know, once I moved to Atlanta, I started out in journalistic roles. I started out as a admin and um, a writer for Upscale Magazine. And right before that, I came to Atlanta to be a part of the Olympics. So always a part of that media writing uh, creative side. So I knew ever since I was small, I wanted to be um, a writer. You know, I had conflicting things going on in my life, like feed a child or be a starving artist. And of course, feed the child, you know, took precedence over being a starving artist. So I had to kind of take a turn into the technology world, which has proven to be great. But yeah, ever since I was small, that creative gene has always been a part of my DNA. And so you talk about that turn very, very early in in the book and only one, how you went from, you know, not making any money as a journalist, because you don't mm-hmm. make any money as a journalist, especially starting uh-huh. out, to going to a major, major corporation. So what was that like, knowing you were creative, but then moving into tech that is that seems to be so not creative? It, it, and it does have that not creative feel. The, the turn was 
uh, interesting because I do talk about that in the book. I have uh, friends that I went to high school with that are like, oh, you're a writer. If you're looking for something, they're writing jobs within corporate America. You can make more money. So I ended up as a technical writer, which, of course, doesn't sound sexy. And it really isn't. But I was a technical writer and really just writing scripts for call centers. You know, when you call in, hey, my name is Monica Brown. This is recorded, all that other stuff. Those are the scripts that I actually ended up writing. So I still felt somewhat connected when I started in technology. Then I learned about other roles and became attracted to other roles. And that's how I ended up progressing. But the in into corporate America was still using my writing skills. And uh, that's, that's how I got my foot in the door using my writing as the conduit to get into technology. So random question. Do you judge uh, customer service call centers when you call and they don't say the script right or they're kind of rude? Like, do you get mad about that? All the time. Absolutely. (laughs) Because I know you have a script and you know, this is a personal pet peeve. I don't know how you pull this out of me, but if there's a script, I I really need you to learn how to learn how to, gear away from the script when it's necessary versus just giving me just a can answer. Sometimes the can answer doesn't work. So I really need that, that balance, but absolutely. And you know, you call in and then they got to stumble or start over or something like that. I'm like, I know it's right in front of the screen. It's literally right there. You just have to read it. <laughs> just, just read it. It was written for you. Just use it. And we can, we can continue with this call. So yeah. Wow, I think the next time I'm on the phone with customer service and it's not right, I'm going to tell them to go back to their script. <laughs> go back to the script. Yeah, because all of them have to say the same thing and there are legal ramifications if you don't do it in that way. And then, you know, towards the end, you can figure out, you know, the creative ways to get the, the, the call resolved. But when they first call in, you have to say those things. And there are people that listen to the calls that if you don't do it right, you actually get graded on how well you manage the call and how you follow the script. Yeah, they're always asking you for a survey at the end to rate them on the call. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that goes against your performance. So if you get ones all the time, it's a problem. Uh, it, really, it really is a problem. So how did you parlay that from writing scripts for customer service call centers into this 20-plus year career in corporate America at major, major companies um, to, to then write about that entire experience in your book. How did, what does that journey look like? The journey is based on a true initiative and observation. Um, I took the initiative to learn. I took the initiative to figure out. And what the, the, the one thing I will say is when you're in, when you're in conversations and you're in meetings with people and they're saying all of this stuff and you're like, that really wasn't a smart answer. And everybody's like, oh, my God, that's like, oh, Lord, that is the major. And I'm saying to myself, I can do that like that. That's all it takes to be that person and get that title and have that paycheck. Let me figure out how I can maneuver myself into this process. And during the maneuvering process is when I found out, not that I didn't know that I was a black woman, but that's when I found out that being black and a woman has other implications, if you will, because for Brett, who probably didn't really have much of a struggle getting in that role, um, and Brett is the name I usually use, so I'm not trying to offend anybody named Brett, so I apologize, but <laughs> Brett <laughs> Brett, it didn't have, you know, a, a struggle getting into that role, but here I am having to constantly be judged and prove myself and be scrutinized for whatever reason, and I didn't really connect to that until I started getting into more of the um, the higher paid, more senior level roles. And, and it, it became very obvious that 
there was a different standard level for people outside of that circle, uh, outside of that physical circle, whether you're a black woman, whether you're, you know, Indian woman, whatever, you have a different path. My path just happens to be a black woman. And that's the perspective I speak from in the book. So at what point did you realize that your story and your perspective as a black woman on this path in corporate America in tech with all these different nuanced experiences was a story that you wanted to tell and put on paper and and put into people's hands? When I realized that I wasn't, and no pun intended, when I was, when I realized I wasn't the only one going through this, um, when I, when I heard the stories of other black women, other successful black women, other women that have achieved multiple awards and and accolades and, and positions say things like, Hey, this happened to me and this happened to me. And I'm like, but you're, you know, so-and-so CIO of, of this company, and you're sitting here telling me that you went through the same thing. How is that possible? The stories were similar. And the second piece of it that made me realize I needed to put experience to paper was when I started really mentoring and I started listening to um, other young women talk to me that has a, a, a minority um, view, specifically Black women, and it, it needs to be talked about and it needs to be shared. And you've done that in this book. And I would say for those who aren't personally mentored by you, it could serve as a bit of mentorship because you drop gems and applicable knowledge. But what I want to ask is that in the stories that you heard from your mentees before you started writing, what did they teach you? Oh, man, they taught me. Wow. Um, I love that question. They taught me that my experience is valuable. And that I didn't go through what I went through for nothing. They taught me that I knew I was naive and I knew I didn't know a lot, but they validated that it was okay that I didn't know because I was really hard on myself because I felt like I should have known, I should have known. And they literally validated the fact that I didn't know, nobody taught me, I didn't have any mentors early in my career and that it was okay. The mistakes that I made were actually valuable mistakes and my experience is valid. So I think, you know, just giving back shed light was able to shed light on some of the things that I was hard on myself about. And they actually helped me with, okay, this, this is something that was good. Even though I didn't feel good in the, at the time, it was something that I learned from and I'm able to now share with them and, and hopefully that they don't have to go through the same thing. Hmm. You talk about your mistakes. What are some mistakes that you had to learn from me in your journey? Um, being too relaxed, being, being too relaxed in the fact that I know what I'm doing and not that that's, I didn't know what I was doing, but I had to not be too relaxed because, um, I needed to be better than everyone else. And that, that was a mistake. I thought because I had done a good job on one thing that would automatically put this, this grand light on me. Oh, Monica's this and Monica's that. She did a good job. And that, that wasn't the case. I got too relaxed in the fact that I thought I was really good at what I did and, and that that was enough. And I didn't really, I didn't really feel like I needed to do above and beyond to get to the next level. But one, once I started to come into who I was in the room, who I was outside of the room and what my view is versus everybody else's and my, my journey is versus everybody else's. Um, I figured out how to, how to change that, but I got too relaxed. Um, and then the second thing was trying to make friends and 
not really understanding the strategy of relationships in corporate America. So I'm like, oh, well, they like me. Oh, well, they this and they that. And honestly, at the end of the day, if it's me versus them in a meeting and it's cutthroat and they had to save themselves, I was the one that's, that was going to be, you know, sacrificed. And there's really more of a strategy to relationships in corporate than versus trying to be everybody's friend. That's just not, that's not realistic. That's not something that's sustainable. And in the book, you talk about some of those strategies about what to do at a conference when you're in a room with mixed peers about not having too much to drink, about always following mm-hmm. up with your network, about always recognizing that just because you and another person you work with may share the same skin color or may be the same gender does not mean that they are always going to be in your corner. Mm-hmm. What was it like? Yeah. What was it like reliving some of those experiences that you wrote about in the book and putting and, and getting them out? It was therapy. And I just want to take a second to um, give you a shout out because I will never forget the day that you told me to stop writing like I'm in corporate America. Do you remember that? When I was, I think it was like pr- probably the first few chapters. And that was like, like, yeah, that was yeah. very early on. <laughs> that was very early on. And I kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's okay. It was, I think it was, it's okay. I kept saying, it's okay. And your words were, no, it's not okay. These are the things that people need to know about. And these are the things that, that you need to talk about to shed light on the experience. And I think after that, you literally gave me permission to say, all right, here we go. You want the story? Here's the story. I'm going to tell you exactly what happened to me. And I'm going to tell you exactly how I felt. And it was therapy. It was really therapy because a lot of the things, like I was saying earlier with the with the mentee question and what I learned, I really held myself accountable for not knowing and not understanding some of those things. And the, the, the experiences were just really building blocks to get me to the point where I am today to be able to truly understand and, and strategically navigate a career. Um, but yeah, you, you, you gave me permission. I, I'm not going to say that I wasn't in my feelings after that comment, but what you did, no, and this is a good thing. I'm what sorry. you did was, no, no, I needed that. What you did was you, you, you almost valid, validated is the only word I can think of right now. The fact that I didn't know how to turn it off because I had been doing it for so long and every type of situation that I'm in, I feel like I have to be this professional, I have to say something because I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to say the wrong thing. And if I do it this way or say it that way, I'm going to be held accountable for something that I didn't intend to land in a certain way. And you actually gave me the, the, the view that everything is not, if I don't have to be that way all the time. And this is my book, this is my experience. And I need to just share that story. And I didn't even realize I was doing it until you called it out. So that in itself just tells me that I was so trained in that mindset that it kind of spilled into other things. And that's not what I wanted to happen. So it's a good thing. (laughs) That was the turning point for me writing the book. And I think because I became what I feel more genuine in telling the story, um, the, the, the response that I've gotten is that a lot of people have really been able to connect with what I've written and it resonates in their career. Um, and they're able to really take that and then use those things uh, to help them with their career as well. And you have a chapter in your book on code switching. And mm-hmm. what I noticed when I made that comment was that you had 20 some odd years of code switching intentionally to position yourself 
to be in the place that you are now and these senior level positions in corporate mm-hmm. in corporations. And so you almost had to cloak your, your, your natural voice and how you would be naturally because of the environment that you were in. And what I always felt free as a writer is that no one can tell you how to write your story. And if they don't like it, when they read it, they can put it down, but nobody can tell you how to write it. That's the one place where, where you can be free. And so I feel like when you've told those stories, you, you've allowed yourself that freedom, but also, you know, you've grounded it in research, you've grounded it in experience and, and you've let the real shine through. And that was what I thought was unique and something that would be very much needed in the marketplace. Thank you. And imagine being a creative at heart and a technical environment where you had to do that. And it's almost like you had to, I had to create another person. And that's where the the code switching was. And there's a part in the book where I talk about, you know, it's almost like being a, a prize fighter. You're, you're fighting and you're in the ring and you have to, you know, be on the side. You're one person while you're outside of the ring, but inside of the ring, you have to get yourself ready to go in for the fight. It's a different type of mentality. It's a different type of way that you have to be. And that's one of the things that I really wanted to share with a lot of the mentees that I've had is, you know, the, the, the perception is, okay, if I take this training class, I'm going to get promoted. If I take this, you know, get this degree, I'm going to get promoted. Or if I, if I do this project, I'm going to get promoted. And there's so much more to it than that. It's not just a checkbox. Um, it's more than that. And that ties back to, you know, you have to, you have to do certain things that may not be necessarily aligned with your natural person. It's okay. As long as you don't lose who that natural person is. And I think somewhere in the shuffle, because I had been in corporate America for so long, uh, a lot of that was starting to become who I was and it really wasn't my natural self. So it's, I don't know if it's, I'm explaining it well, but it's, it's almost like I had to be in that, in that limelight, that way for so long, it was hard for me to turn it off um, and, and really be my natural person. So I'm creative at heart in the technical environment that wants to laugh and joke and tell crazy stories and be my natural self. But then I have to be this person when I'm in the room and then, you know, manage these relationships and have this way of talking. And yes, I golf and yes, I do this. And yes, I do that. And then when I get home, it's like, hey, I'm exhausted because I'm literally putting energy out to create this thing that, you know, is not naturally who I am. Now, flipping that, that needs to be done, though, for you to get into that circle. So it's managing and balancing that, which is where I didn't know how to do that because I wasn't taught that I needed to balance it. I figured that's who I needed to be all the time. And that's the person that was going to get me to the next level. And it worked, but it's, it's really balancing your natural self with who you need to be to get these positions. And then once you get those positions, making sure that you reach back and pull other people in. Mm. There's so many different directions to go. Do you, I know. <laughs> do you feel now, since the, after writing this book and me having called that out, do you feel more free now at your job and still in yes. America? Yes. And there are two dynamics to that. I feel, I do feel that I'm more, I'm allowed to bring my authentic self, which is a, a, a phrase that a lot of people use now. I, I'm, I'm free and I'm comfortable with bringing my authentic self. So the flip from where I was when I started my career to now is that 
I'm not looking just for a job to give me a paycheck. I'm looking for a job where they, where they will accept my authentic self and the culture works for me as much as it works for them, the benefits of having me in their leadership team, which is different than where I was even a few years ago. And having a culture that's accepting of you and embracing you, your whole person. And they're like, oh, well, we know who you are. We just need you to come in and do the work. You know, you're Monica, you're this, we know that, we accept that, and we actually promote it. And that's where I am now with this Canadian-based company um, called Two Cows. Man, they they have fully put their arms around me. Just about everything that I've done, they're reposting, they're talking about it inside the company. They've actually bought copies of my book. I had a, a fireside chat inside of the company where they invited the whole company to, to um, watch me be interviewed by um, one of the HR, um, one of my coworkers who's in HR. They have totally wrapped themselves around me. And that has absolutely never happened in my career. And it's, it's going to be hard to eventually leave if I decide to leave that company because I've never had that before. And it's something that I think a lot of people strive to get in their career. And it's a very rare find. Um, so, you know, now I'm not looking just for a job. I'm looking for a place where I can bring myself and everybody's cool with who I am and I can do a great job at the same time. That's awesome. That's a, that's a whole testimony, first of all. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and yes. So in discovering that for yourself, is that something that you feel readers can get out of your book that, that, that they can play the game, but still show up authentically? Or does it take time before you, to do one before you can do the other? It takes time um, because it takes time because you, you first have to understand who you are as a person, what makes you function, what makes you, what motivates you in a company and a job. And then you have to understand how you influence your surroundings. So you need jobs to be able to manage that. And you actually probably would benefit from having a couple of, you know, pretty sucky jobs so you can understand what that feels like, right? <laughs> because you don't know if you don't know what's good unless you have bad. You gotta have that yin, yin and yang to be able to tell the difference. Um, but until you really get to the point where you know who you are and you can embrace that and you've truly connected with what what's good for you and what's not. You won't be able to find that utopian state until you've arrived or you've matured in yourself. Self-awareness, I talk about, um, you know, emotional intelligence, what it takes to play this game, because it is a game. Um, and you have to understand how to play the game as you, right? Because what I do is different than what Nikisha needs to do to manage herself in those situations. So until you become one with you and understand yourself to the core and how you know, you coming to work every day changes or, you know, you, how you interpret certain situations and manage those emotionally and the self-awareness that goes along with it, that utopian state is going to be far away because you won't even recognize it when you get it unless you know who you are. Um, so that the, the first part needs to happen. And then I think the second part will naturally come eventually. How do you balance these two different sides of yourself, this duality? I know it's now being embraced at your new company, but you're still very much a corporate executive. And then you're also this creative and great writer who I happen to know is not just working on your own story and only one, but something else. 
So how do how do you balance the, those two very different sides of you? I guess the left brain and the right brain. The left brain and the right brain, two competing brains in one head. How does one go to sleep at night when you have to think about work and stuff that you have to do? And then you have all these people talking to you and voices that you need to get out of your system. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hard because even in that too, as you know, there's family balance that has to go in along with that as well. So I'm not only, you know, the corporate executive, I'm not only the, the, the creative person on the side, I'm also a mom. I also take care of my mom. I also have other projects that I'm working on. And my crazy self actually wants to write another book and has started writing another book. So, um, but truth be told, if I didn't have all of this going on, I would probably go crazy. So I think the balance is having the multiple outlets and being able to still do my professional side, which actually benefits me in the creative world and vice versa. Um, so it's almost like using both of them to play against each other in a, in a more beneficial way. Because I can bring, you know, I can be in a meeting and then at the end I'll make a statement and everybody's laughing because I made a statement about something. And it's, it, it's, it's bringing that, that personal side of it and that creative side of it and taking something that otherwise would have been a very sticky, very, you know, straightforward situation and putting a little spin on it. And then everybody leaves the call. Okay, bye. Have a great day. Have a great. It's, it's making the two benefit each other. And that's what I've been trying to do. But if I didn't have all of these outlets, I would probably, I don't know what I would do. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I have to have both of them. Um, and I think I've done the professional long enough where if, if the creative took over and I'm still doing a bit of the professional, I would be okay. But um, it's, it's a balance, but I need both of them to, to survive basically. Awesome. So I'm going to put a pin in that and I want to go to our speed round before I ask you our very last question. You ready? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be intimidated. It's, you got okay, it. Okay. All right. Okay. Favorite book. Oh, favorite. Um. Oh my gosh, I read so many books in college. Um, and it's a college book, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of it, but it's a college book. I think it was called Black Writers. And it was like a, a book that I had to finish for one of my uh, journalism classes. And the reason why I love that book, and I actually still have that book from college, from a little years ago. The reason why I love that book so much is because it went through every single genre and it highlighted all of the African-American writers um, from each of those genres. And also talked about poetry, Langston Hughes, County Cullen, all of these people from way back and reading that and actually hearing their voices while I'm reading it was probably one of the most, um, I don't know what the word is. It, it was really a, a coming home for me. And that's when I knew in college, when I started taking those uh, books, that were that, those colleges, those classes in college that were really focused on uh, Black writers and all those genres, I, I was in love. Um, so it's, it's not necessarily a specific book, like somebody wrote it. It's one of the college books and that that's so crazy, but it's really the book that kind of solidified that I connected with, uh, writing and the experiences and how writing is a creative way of saying what folks have done, um, and experienced. So yeah, it's, it's a college book. I have so many others that I can name, but I'm going to pick that one for this, for this session. What is your favorite movie? 
Coming to America. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) That is my all-time favorite. I know every single line. Don't challenge me. You will lose. I know every single line. (laughs) What's your favorite song? Oh, um, but it's by the same artist. Is that okay? Go ahead. Um, Okay. As and uh, All I Do by Stevie Wonder. all I do is think about you or, you know, it. either one of those songs is going to put me in his own. Stevie Wonder is just a mastermind of music. So, um, yeah, I, I can't really pick between the two. I love both of them. Okay. So you give a little hint of this in the book, but I'm going to ask anyway. Louboutins or Jimmy Choo? Oh, definitely Louboutins. Yeah. Yeah. I need my red <laughs> bottoms. <laughs> White or red wine? Red. All day. Any particular favorite brand? Um, uh, good Cabernet. I like a mixed, uh, I'm sorry, a blend. Um, I like South African wines, uh, a good Pinot. Um, yeah, Red Zinfandel is probably the only one because it's a little bit dry. That's the only one I really don't care for, but pretty much any type of red wine. Okay. The achievement you're most proud of? Being a mother. Um because it's hard. There's, there's no script. There's no book. There's no, there's no checkbox for being a mom. And, you know, I have two daughters. My oldest daughter was with me through my struggle. So our relationship isn't as, as, um, as close as I would want it to be because of the fact that I had to grind so much. I really feel like, you know, I, I, could have done better, which is another area that I probably need to throw my feet up on the couch for and kind of go through. But um, I'm proud of being a mom because I have two beautiful children, um, both of them unique in their own right. But they they have seen my authentic person, good, bad, ugly. Um, they've seen me up, down, in, out. And um, for them to still unconditionally love me as, the, as a mom, um, I think is my greatest achievement. Oh, shout out to the girls. Shout out to the girls. And final speed round question. What is your goal for the future in any arena that you are in? Because you are in many, ma'am. I know. My goal is financial freedom. My goal is to make working an option. Hey. (laughs) And not a necessity. So all the things that I'm doing now on the side, there's, there's there's a method behind the madness. So financial freedom being able to get up in the morning and decide what I want to do versus having to do it as, as a necessity is, is my goal. Oh, I feel that thing in my soul. The girl <laughs> all the way down. <laughs> all right. Final question of the podcast. So you, you, you do a lot. You're in corporate America. You're writing another book. You have this book out. You're also doing some film projects on the side mm-hmm. and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're on this quest to, to, to be the ultimate decider of the course of your life. So mm-hmm. when you are no longer here on this earth and someone decides to write about you, what would you like them to say about you and your legacy? I want them to say that um, despite all the hard work and all of the hours that I put in to position myself, I want them to say that I prioritized having fun um, and 
loving the life that you were given. And I also want them to say that I was a motivator for other people because I'm very quick to coerce and convince folks to do things that they've wanted to do. So if you ever meet me and you say, hey, I want to do this, my next response is, well, why aren't you doing it? And I really want to make sure that when people talk about me, they don't just say, you know, she worked hard and she really, you know, did all these things for her career. I want them to say that I actually motivated other people uh, and that I wanted to have fun. And then, you know, at the end of the book, they need to have a chapter about martinis because I like martinis. And <laughs> I want them to talk about that too. <laughs> and wine, as you can, as we just talked about. So, um, but yeah, just, just, being that person, I just, I just want to be that person to motivate somebody into their dreams because a lot of people pigeonhole themselves because they, they don't feel like they're valuable or they're worthy and everybody's worthy and valuable of whatever dreams that they have. They just need to go get it. And I really feel like, you know, I, I hope people can feel that for me, that I'm that person that would really want to pull that out of them because life is too short. So there's no need for you to wait to, to build your dreams. But yeah, martinis, work hard, definitely enjoy life and, and really, um, really being that person to motivate other people into the, into their future. All right. Well, I'm gonna drop the mic on that. Just go get it. You heard it here first. Just go get it. Just go get it. You gotta go get it. Cause nobody's gonna give it to you, right? Nobody's exactly. You. So you gotta go get it. Cause if you wait for other people, you'll never get it. Never. <laughs> Big thank you to Monica for being here today on Black and Published. Make sure you check out Monica's book, Only One, How to Be a Badass Boss in Corporate America. And if you're not following her on the socials, follow her at Ms. Monica B. That's M-S-M-O-N-I-C-A-B-E-E on Instagram. That's our show for the week. If you liked this episode and want more Black and Published, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice. You can also leave us a rating, a review, a comment. Let us know who else you want to hear on the show. You can also follow Black and Published at Black and Published on Instagram and Twitter. That's at BLK and Published. And to keep up with me, head to newrights.com or follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Nikisha underscore Elise. That's our show. I'll holler at y'all next week. Peace.